Welcome to The Real Python Podcast. This is episode 144. Can you describe your business processes with flowcharts? What if you could define the steps in a standard notation and implement the workflows in pure Python? This week on the show, Dan Funk from Sartography is here to discuss Spiff Workflow. Spiff Workflow is a Python tool for translating business process model and notation diagrams into a workflow engine. You can manipulate this visual chain of events to suit your team's business requirements. Individual events in the workflow can contain blocks or scripts of Python code to be executed. We discuss the concept of low-code software tools. Dan also talks about how Spiff Workflow aims at getting non-developers within an organization involved in development. This episode is brought to you by Telemetry Hub. Get real-time insights with Telemetry Hub, the full-stack monitoring solution. Monitor web apps, databases, servers, and cloud infrastructure with ease. Customizable alerts make it the go-to choice. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. I have worked in the world of sort of small businesses. And I know you're a listener of the show, and so you've probably heard me talk about it a little bit. And when you mentioned this this set of tools and this uh, sort of idea of workflows, I got kind of excited about, you know, having you on the show and, and we've been going back and forth, kind of coming up with uh, how we can kind of present it. But maybe we should start off talking about what is this tool called Spiff Workflow? It's an open source library for executing diagrams. So the best way to think about it is like a like a flowchart. You visualize a flowchart. That's kind of what the editor and experience looks like for authoring stuff. And you just kind of draw out a particular process, and then Spiff Workflow can then execute that process. So I actually run it. Nice. And it's based upon a thing called BPMN. And actually, I kind of sent BPNMN out to like a few of my uh, coworkers and the the friends in Canada and Europe knew about it. <laughs> so it seems to be maybe a little more popular in places outside of the US. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. Like um there's definitely organizations here in the US that use it, but I think they also like have a lot of connections to Europe. And I I'm not sure we we've asked a bunch of people, uh even organizations here in the US that use it. And yeah, there's not there's not a clear answer. What is BPMN? Uh, so BPMN is uh, uh, stands for Business Process Model and Notation. So it doesn't even flow off the tongue very well. Yeah, <laughs> and it's uh, it's it's definitely very it's very enterprisey thing out there traditionally and used in a lot of uh, historically very tightly connected with Java. But what's interesting about it is it's a very clean, very, very rigorously defined standard for like how you draw these flowcharts, what the rules are, and how the how the flowchart can actually be executed. So they've thought through kind of like in a, almost like a Turing complete way, they've thought about like, how do you make every single component work and behave consistently? And what are the rules around it? And what we've done is kind of followed that standard, but implemented it in Python. So this was like kind of a thing that you saw in use and kind of design some of what Spiff workflow as a way to sort of encapsulate it as a tool? Yeah, I guess we picked it up for a different project. We were just kind of looking for a good workflow system. Like how do we how do we automate all these like complex workflows for a university? And this just like in all of our searches, we kind of came across BPMN. That sounded really cool. But then we looked at like what it took to like like use these BPMN tools and Java. And it was just such a headache. Like we spent like a full, it was three or four of us and we spent a whole week and we just never really got something running that made any sense to us. Then we started looking for, well, where's, what are, like, let's, let's find something in a language that we really like. Does Python like do this? And, and like we found Spiff Workflow, okay, which sort of did it at the time. Like it was, had a good following and definitely could execute the diagram. So that's where we started playing around with it and, and it grew from there. And so that's how you sort of got involved 
the project had existed before. Yeah, Samuel Abels like found it in uh, 2010, and we didn't pick it up until 2018. Okay, but really hit it hard. Like we picked it up for this project for for the University of Virginia for their medical research center. So really rigorous things that have to go on for you to do uh, like a, a medical research study at a university, right? There's lots of tests <laughs> on what you're about to do to people. Yeah, think about uh, not not only flowcharts, but like checklists and like things all have to be, uh, you know, every I dotted and T crossed. A, a million times by like everybody. Like the cancer center wants to look at it. The x-ray group wants to look at it. The, you know, the, the this board and that board and this other board. Yes, all over the place. Okay trying to get all this to, to work for that. And we, we ran into a lot of, we ended up like, like really getting in. We thought we'd just use the library, but then we discovered, no, we're going to, we're going to have to really like update this thing and make it, make it do all of these things it didn't do before. Okay. So we ended up making like all kinds of contributions to the point where Samuel like handed over the repo to us. And so we've been maintaining it uh, ever since. So for the last like three or four years. Oh, cool. Awesome. Is there like a, a, a core team? Yeah, it's really our, our consulting company. So there's there's and there's five of us that that work there now. It already was implementing Python within Spiff Workflow already, and then you wanted to kind of build on top of it. Um, what were some of the things that you needed to add to it? I think it like it was really kind of at first it was a a, a cool experiment in like how to build a good workflow system in Python. And then uh, someone came along and like added all kinds of stuff for support for BPMN and directly executing it. But I don't think anyone was really aggressively using it. Okay. Uh, or at least it wasn't broadly used. So when we tried to pick it up and really make it do everything that we wanted it to do, we just wanted like a, like an average user with no Python development experience to be able to come in, draw a diagram, and run it. And like all the hurdles that we encountered along that way. Okay. If we dive a little deeper into BPMN, what are some of the like components that kind of make up the the flow chart and how it kind of operates? So yeah, I guess if like the the best thing to do is like just kind of describe the diagram to you, like what it would look like. So so BPMN diagrams just start with like a like a simple open circle. That's your start, and anything can cause that start to happen. Uh, it's kind of it's a, like the circles are events. So there's like this start event. Something causes this thing to start. And then there's a series of tasks that follow. And there's little rectangle tasks. Uh, and I'm sure you've seen this, like like a line with an arrow and it points to a little box. And inside that box is like, you know, something's written and it goes to the next box. But yeah. these boxes, these tasks have types. So there's like user tasks uh, where you would probably like, maybe if somebody needs to go and log in and fill out a form or answer a question or something. There's service tasks where you have to go and talk to some external uh, software system. Okay. There's script tasks where, you know, it gives you this opportunity to not, you have to write the entire application in Python, but you can grab data from the last task and like write just a little bit of Python to munch that data and change its structure and send it off to the next task. So these are just some some examples of tasks. Yeah, so each one of these little boxes can have Python code within them that can be run. Yeah, almost like a script, or does it go beyond like uh, a script style? It it really feels like writing a script. Okay, you know, like the like the early days of Python, when that's what people did with Python, right? Yeah. So it just adds some it adds some structure so that like the architectural knowledge that you need to write more complex programs is kind of embedded in the in the diagram itself, and and really lots of other things like building forms. You don't need to know how to build a form. You can just you just build a form like you know in a WYSIWYG editor or with um, you know, JSON structures is kind of what we're using now. Okay. Service tasks, those are predefined for you too. So you say like, I need to make this API call and it says, oh, to where? And then it gives you a list and you say, uh, I want to send information to uh, AWS and stick it in this like DynamoDB database. Okay. And it says, okay, great. That, you know, DynamoDB, that takes JSON. Give me a JSON string to stick in there. Tell me what table you want. And so that's how the service tasks work. So a lot of those handles are already kind of in the library? Yes. Um, and mechanisms for adding more. Okay. Right, there's a thing called a connector proxy that we have. So it's a whole separate little app that Spiff Workflow will talk to. So you write your own connector proxy and say, I want to be able to talk to, yeah, AWS and these services. I want to talk to 
my chat, you know, client, I want to be able to send messages out over email to our private email server, whatever else you want to stand up in there. So you can, you can configure that completely separately, all your integration points. I had a recent conversation with Calvin from Six Feet Up, and he was talking about working with a tool called Airflow, Apache Airflow. And the differences between these sound way more like that thing is just automated and is told what to do by a programmer. And this one is going to be more interactive and allow, you know, kind of lots of sort of user input, but but also have some of those nice automation sort of functions in it. It seems like I'm on a theme lately <laughs> here in the show, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I like Airflow a lot. Uh, in fact, we patterned like this connector proxy idea we've got we, we built that entirely based on Airflow because Airflow nails it. It's, it's gorgeous. Oh, cool. Um, and highly extendable. So yeah, and in, in the future, it'd really be great if they just kind of like came together. So all the connectors that, that Airflow offers, we could just, we could just offer as well and they would all just work the same way. Yeah. So you're, you're going to dive into the next sort of elements on the flow chart. You're, um, had talked about the squares kind of initially, the the tasks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So squares are the tasks, circles are events. So we were saying like, yeah, unlike Airflow, this kind of handles, think, long-running things. Um, so you could, you could inject like timers that will interrupt things. So you're waiting on an approval, but you can drop a little timer on this thing that like a, an interrupting event. And it says like, you know, after two weeks of like this approval being active, I need you to do this, this, and this. I'm going to notify a supervisor. I want you to tell like, you know, send a Slack message or, you know, get this person's attention somehow. Okay. There's diamonds, uh, those like handle like parallel conditional like stuff. So like the one question we get frequently is like, how do you handle parallel approval process? Um, can Spiff Workflow do that? And like, yeah, it totally can. Is that common like in the, your university experience? Yeah, in a lot of places. It definitely happened at, at UVA, but we got, I, I've seen like multiple uh, requests that have come through on GitHub's task uh, tickets. And I've also seen, um, yeah, a couple of recent questions on Discord that were around it. So it seems like a pretty common issue. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And lanes, uh, lanes are another aspect. So it, like they look like swim lanes. If you've drawn, like you've probably seen other diagrams with swim lanes on them, that things happen along those lanes. And these diagrams can kind of use that. So if like the arrow goes from a task in one lane to another, it's actually transitioning from one person to another. So this is no longer your responsibility. It belongs to the, the approval group, the pizza making group or whatever, whatever thing you happen to be doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you have like a nice uh, repository of like examples people can check out. Yeah, there's a, there's a few good examples. If you go to spiffworkflow.org, there's an example right there on the homepage that kind of like hits these major components and kind of shows you how they work. And yeah, then there's videos and stuff online to, to kind of cover like the more complex stuff, like the, you know, the multi-user, there are the multi-permissions and parallel approval processes and things. Yeah, and it's definitely a, a standard that's based out there. And you had some some notes about that. And also you had mentioned... I noticed on the Spiff Workflow Read the Docs site, there's a link to a book from, is it uh, Bruce Silver, the BPMN, yeah. quick and easy. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, uh, as opposed to probably with how the, the actual documentation is written. <laughs> so, yeah, the 500-page, like, yeah, the 500-page standard is not quick and easy, that's for sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's a it's a it's an international standard, it's an ISO standard that exists out there. So it's it's very rigorously defined. It's uh yeah, it's it's much more than just the things that I've mentioned. Like it's it's very broad, very deep, yeah, and can handle a lot of situations. Say goodbye to expensive, complex monitoring solutions. Telemetry Hub offers affordable, full stack monitoring that fits any budget. Get real time insights, customizable alerts and a unified platform without breaking the bank. Start monitoring smarter, not harder, with Telemetry Hub. Start your free trial today at telemetryhub.com. That's T-E-L-E-M-E-T-R-Y-H-U-B.com. You mentioned the popularity of BPM and across various parts of the world. Uh, what are the types of industries outside of, like, you mentioned the university medical research approval kind of process. What are other places that BPNM is being used? 
And then we could talk about like, you know, potentially some of the people that are using your tool right now. What we're seeing out there in the in the community is we've done like uh, just general research. It seems to be heavily used in the banking industry. Telecommunications equipment seems to like those organizations seem to use it a lot. It's very, it does seem to be focused in Europe. Like if you look at like the major companies that are doing BPMN now, uh, Flowable, Comunda, that are that are also huge uh, contributors to some of the open source tools that we rely on, like the, the BPMN editor uh, that we use. Uh, it's, it's a good contribution. But those companies are all based in, in either Germany or Switzerland. Huh. There's also like a lot of like a lot of academic traffic that happens around BPMN and, and has for like over a decade. But I like just doing a quick search. It looked like there was about 16,000 articles that have been published, you know, just since 2019. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice. There's nothing stopping a small business or a small organization using this, though, right? No, and that's, uh, that's definitely where we're trying to head is... Um, is sort of to establish like a maybe a simple software as a service so like any organization could go in and like build their own diagrams and kind of automate parts of their processes or you know integrate the system into some of their existing tooling cool what are some of the clients that you're working with now or people that are using spiff workflow specifically so we the, for our clients the university of virginia remains a client so we're continuing to work on that uh, project We've been doing something with a company called Status, which is a Web3 uh, company okay. who really kind of believes in sort of openness and transparency and, you know, contributing back and building open source applications. Uh, so they've, they've really kind of helped fund uh, a ton of effort towards making Spiff Workflow a whole lot user, easier to use. The code name of the project that we've been doing there is Spiff Arena. So Spiff Workflow is kind of a, just a Python library. Like you have to be a Python developer to use it. Spiff Arena wraps that library and makes it, um, you know, accessible to anybody. So you just fire up Spiff Arena. There's documentation about this too on spiffworkflow.org. So if you wanted to follow the getting started guide, you could do this and like draw your diagram and, and execute it and see what it did and like, you know, review all, all that information is available through Spiff Arena. So it makes it much easier to get started. Some of the things you're talking about in, there's an article that you have in the IEEE called IEEE Software? Yeah. Yeah, what's the article? Yeah, IEEE Software is, yeah, one of IEEE's many magazines, but they have an IEEE Software magazine. Okay. Um, and there's an insights column there that we uh, that we got featured in uh, here recently. Nice. It just came out like this January, February. Uh, we talk a lot about what we've done at the University of Virginia and the lessons that we've learned. Like, what was it like to like build your own BPMN like engine and really kind of flesh everything out? And, you know, what principles like were applied there and what's it take to like train an organization up on how to use it. So we, we cover a lot of information around just like what, you know, what we learned by throwing ourselves into that fire. Yeah. There's a lot more detailed sort of graphics. And if you want to see the workflows yeah. uh, going in there, there's several examples. Yeah. In that article mentioned often is uh, this other sort of side of the tool, which is the DMN Again, hard to pronounce. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but DMN uh, are what are those? So DMN's a, another. It's a companion standard to BPMN. Okay, but instead of like drawing flowcharts, DMN is uh, you. It looks like a spreadsheet, and it's a spreadsheet that's that's very it's very standardized. So there's inputs and outputs. Okay, so it, it's kind of like conditional logic or, or a way to list out uh, business rules good example is like uh like a pizza place and you might like your input might be all of the different toppings that you can have and the pizza size and the output would be the cost so if it's like pepperoni on a large pizza we need to add this much you know but if it's okay yeah like escargot or something and you want to add it to the large pizza, it's this much more right it's <laughs> like so it can make all those like odd decisions like about interrelated inputs and like what the output should be okay and encode it in a way that's really simple and easy to like maintain, right? Um, so you don't have that. That would, be, that would be an odd a bit of information to try and get in a diagram, right, and layout. But it's a quick, simple thing to put in a spreadsheet. Nice. The article, unfortunately, is behind a paywall, but I'll, I'll include a link for it if people are interested. And in, you know, I'm, I'm guessing there may be some people that are uh, subscribed to uh, IEEE software, but it's it definitely seems like a good guide for it if people are interested in checking it out. So one of the things that you talk about not only in that article, but also in, in the documentation is how this is kind of fitting into what P3 
people might consider a low code system. What does that mean? What is a low code system? I've always kind of wondered too. Like it, it's okay. not like a, <laughs> it's kind of an odd it's term. It's like no code. I've heard but, of those, right? Yeah. Yeah. No code is, yeah, is a thing too that I don't also don't really understand. Um, okay. But I've thought, I've thought about it a lot. Um, sure. I mean, if you're writing software, there's code involved, right? Uh, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so a low-code system, like the definition that seems to be most consistent out there is it, it is a tool that lets people create software visually. Okay. And I, I think under that moniker, I think we, we, you know, we definitely fall. We want to make um, things more transparent and easier for people to understand and easier for, for like a business rule to get laid out in a, in a way that really resonates with people. Like you can sit in a meeting and like draw this thing out and everybody agrees, yes, that's the way it should be. This is the process that, that, yeah, that should right. be followed. Okay. Yeah. But I, I also think like there's, uh, like there's the low code sort of movement and the organizations and, and companies that kind of attach themselves to that moniker that I have, I don't, I haven't found a lot of love for. <laughs> okay. Sure. But if you look at like a story, we always try to make software easier to use. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some really good visual tools for creating software that don't call themselves so good. I mean, there's two of them are really kind of like that I encountered were watching my son grow up and play with computers. And the, yeah, yeah. the first one that he did was uh, MIT's like Scratch program. Yep. And if you've never seen it, it's it's delightful. It looks like Legos, but you can grab this thing that's like a it's like a little C shaped thing, but it's a it's, it's a looper, and you drag this like lego like thing onto the screen you can stick stuff inside of it and then you can say i want like everything stuck inside this thing to do it 10 times and then you put like you know make my little cartoon character like take a step in it yeah and it, it'll do it and you know you can see how you're constructing the code and it gets these like you know basic programming concepts across in a beautiful way yeah i mean it's kind of a neat like overall learning tool uh just to kind of just help like you said visual learners and and the idea that code sort of does <laughs> glue together you know if you will or snap together right and you have to do it in the right order or you don't get the right results and you get to see that kind of happening which is kind of a, a nice uh, functionality of it yeah not only is it like are those things good for you know someone learning how to code they're useful for anybody who's it doesn't have to be for children right like yeah that that concept that ability for things to be easy to learn initially and to like but that don't block you from like growing and learning and doing more are just are just good aspects of the language i think it's what makes python good yeah yeah definitely right? it's simple to <laughs> and easy to introduce yourself to yeah it's very readable even though it has all the white space that uh some core programmer people are like ah what you know why don't we don't have all my brackets and things that they're used to but uh, I've definitely fallen on the side of like, I, I can look through this and very easily glance as to kind of, you know, what's sort of generally happening, which is nice with the language. There's not so much visual noise. Yeah, yeah, as well. I get one other like low code thing that's not low code is, uh, is Blender that I, when I was watching my son like learn Blender and, and how to apply like, certain aspects to a like blenders a 3d modeling program yep and i've been deep in can, it over the last weekend actually oh fun all right cool <laughs> yeah the way you apply shaders to that or behaviors to it if you're doing an animation yeah is very low code oriented um you're dragging and dropping these properties onto the system or connecting these wires together you know in a way that creates just the thing that you're looking to do yeah. in an intuitive way i got a 3d printer recently and i've been learning how to do stuff in it and i kind of wanted to stay in the open source free software kind of realm and blender sort of appealed to me in that sense it's a little hard uh for some of the specific stuff i'm doing because like things like making holes you literally are using like a boolean operator to take a you know like a something that would be the shape of a like a column and you know stick it into the body of this box that you have and then with a boolean thing saying you know remove that <laughs> so right where these intersect it should disappear which is very interesting and definitely a, it feels very programming and there's definitely a lot of python stuff hiding underneath blender which is interesting um i'm still gonna keep digging with it but uh it seems like maybe for building these uh, project boxes and things that i'm kind of encasing 
I don't know. I'm not sure if it's the perfect tool for it, but I I am intrigued by it. There's a tool called OpenSCAD. Okay. It's super nerdy. Uh, You write code to generate the 3D shapes. Okay. But they're perfect 3D shapes for printing. Like It generates these excellent solids that you can send to a slicer right away, and they work fantastic. Okay, I'll have to look at that. <laughs> and it, as you write the as you write the code, you see this shape forming, right? It, it, it's it's really fun. It's really delightful. Oh, cool, nice. Yeah, I mean, the stuff I'm making usually is just to I'm making tools for like electronic music and other stuff like that, trying to encase it. The funnest thing I built was for my dogs. I built a uh, some clips to build uh, jumps. For uh, out of PVC pipe oh, <laughs> to nice. do agility, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, Thingiverse is pretty handy. Uh, I'm still trying to to work on like come here, just come here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then my border collie's like, I have to keep her really busy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's fun. So yeah, it sounds like low code is kind of a, a weird definition, but the concept of it is that if someone within an organization wanted to create this sort of structured workflow, they could get all the teams of people that are in a small organization, half maybe, you know, programming people might be managers, whatever. They could sit there and agree on the workflow and lay it out visually like we're talking about, but then programmatically what's going to go in the little squares again uh, that could be handled by someone who's comfortable with Python or at least scripting in Python, right? Yeah, yeah. And kind of that low bar of scripting in Python, right? You don't have to, I, like if you've got a team of like good Python developers, I wouldn't force them into using the tool. Right. But it does open the door for uh, somebody else to write just a tiny bit of Python. You know, spend an afternoon and learn some basic scripting uh, skills and and yeah, and do the little things that you need to do. And then when it gets more complicated than that, there's lots of ways to extend and, you know, add connections through that connector proxy that we talked about to to speak out to other systems to do more complicated work. Yeah. As you've been working on the library, actually, maybe we could mention that right away. Like if someone was interested in contributing to the library, how would they do that? It's it's all on, everything is on GitHub. Okay. Uh, yeah, just just search GitHub for Spiff Workflow, and you'll find uh, you'll find all of the all of the libraries. The Spiff Workflow library itself is just a uh, just a Python, just one single Python GitHub repo. Spiff Arena is a, a mono repo, which you talked about recently in a couple podcasts. Yeah, yeah. So it's got like a front end and a, like a, a back end, which is a Flask application, which is one repository. Front end, which is a React application, and then. Um, Another JavaScript application that that modifies and the the BPMN diagramming editor, uh, which is Comunda's one of Comunda's open source contributions. Okay, and makes that work with the whole thing, so that that modern repo just kind of pulls a bunch of those pieces together to make it easier for somebody to grab and, and run. Nice. I guess that's kind of one of the things that we could talk about is like how would after it's been designed and coded, and you're going to involve other people with the project. Uh, you just mentioned Spifferina, which could be then hosted. Like, wh- what would be like hosting solutions for something like that for standing this whole thing up and and making it uh, functional for a lot of the different end users that are involved with it? Um, it's all Dockerized. Okay. And there's a, a in the getting started guide on Spiffworkflow.org. Um, it it gives you a like a Docker Compose script that you can use to spin everything up in a way that works. My company, I keep not mentioning. Uh, so, we're Sartography is is my consulting company. But if you get in contact with us, which is what what filling out a form on Spiffworkflow.org would do, we can definitely stand up an instance for you and uh, and let you play around with it. And um, that's one of the things that we want the the way that we like continue to feed ourselves and yeah yeah definitely uh, and whatnot through this through these consulting uh, contracts. So we're hoping that people are interested in it and are willing to give it a try and yeah work with us to to get to stand it up and need help to get it uh, going. Yeah yeah nice yeah absolutely and. You also had like a, a YouTube video you had shared with me about sort of standing it up too, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a um, and that's actually on the website as well, so you can read it. It's all written out in a, a post, but there's a video that you can follow along uh, and watch me. Yeah, I, you know, honestly, after ten attempts of, of trying to record the video, like 
I, I, I got the last <laughs> one where I did it flawlessly and made it look easy. But yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's really very straightforward. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another real Python video course. It's about the latest release of Python. It's titled Cool New Features in Python 3.11. This video course is the companion of a tutorial by previous guest, Gerarna Hiela. And my frequent co-host, Christopher Trudeau, takes you through the new features and improvements in Python 3.11, such as better error messages with more informative tracebacks, faster code execution due to many of the efforts in the Faster C Python project, task and exception groups that simplify working with asynchronous code, several new typing features, improving Python static typing support, and native TOML support for working with configuration files. I think it's a worthy investment of your time to learn how to take advantage of the latest version of Python, which continues to get faster and more user-friendly. Like all the video courses on RealPython, the course is broken into easily consumable sections. Plus, you get additional resources and code examples for the techniques shown. All of our course lessons have a transcript, including closed captions. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes, or you can find it using the enhanced search tool on realpython.com. As you've worked on this project, what are some of the things that you've learned as far as like sort of you know, working on a project like this as far as like Python skills and your programming skills? Well, yeah, I, like, so one of the things that like uh, what, your recent podcast with uh, Benji Weinberger, where you talked about his project pants. Okay. A lot of what his project does is, is really kind of help enforce good software development practices. Yeah. So yeah, it really got me thinking. I mean, that's a lot of what we're doing like over and over again as we've implemented Spiff workflow and tried to figure out like how do we make it easy to draw these diagrams to write good software we keep falling back to well you do it the same way you write good software in any other language you know you, there's <laughs> there's best practices there's good there's good rules to follow to implement good software one of the top ones i think for us right now is like just good encapsulation one of the things that i didn't mention that you can do with a task in these diagrams is uh, that task can be call this other diagram and execute it. So that's really kind of a way to create some encapsulation. And that other diagram can define what its inputs and outputs are. And so you can say, like, okay, we'll just these vari- pass these variables over to that other workflow process, let it run, and when it's done, it'll pass this thing back to us. Um, and it you know allows you to like bust things up, reuse diagrams. Yeah, yeah. And and like yeah, just kind of eliminate like the spaghetti that could occur if you um, <laughs> if you don't like keep things kind of well contained. Yeah, yeah, and then like yeah, figuring out like what is the the core element to to be reusable and the like if you will go back to our idea of building blocks. You know what are the the core building blocks that that need to be built on top of each other. So that's cool. Yeah, exactly. Were there other practices you were learning as you went testing? Okay, yeah, like um, Kevin and Jason like came up with this great idea here recently. There's a couple of my colleagues of of building in a um a tester like a built-in tester for like all of your scripts. So you, uh, when you write a when you write a short Python script in a script task, our editor will now let you pull up a, an interface to write a unit test for that script task. Nice. Like it'll prompt prompt that process for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Basically, you can define like, all right, here's the inputs to my script task, and here's what should come back out of it. Yeah, and then just like you can write as many of those as you want, um, and it'll just run through and test them all and make sure that they all work. <laughs> A form of keeping you honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And sane, right? Like, why yeah, is too. this broken? Yeah. Right? Like, um, yeah. There's um, like version control, so like all the VPMN diagrams through at least when in Spiff Arena when you're using it, like it stores your VPMN diagrams um, and DMN tables and whatnot in a Git repository. So you are tracking those changes. Uh, you can like attach one instance, one environment of Spiff Arena to your like your dev branch and like another one to your production branch. Yeah, and then move changes between the two, uh, and so it gives you like all the tooling that we use today to you know to roll out things from staging to production, and uh, you know, in any other coding environment. Yeah, and I could see that very useful for you know organizations to have that best practice working too. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's almost <laughs> a requirement, right? You can't even like think straight without it. Yeah, yeah, totally. I guess another big one that I've I've thought about a lot is uh, just software development layers. Okay. 
like in, in most typical modern web development, you've got a front end and a back end. Yeah. Which naturally evolved from the fact that like on the front end, you've got to write in JavaScript and on the back end, that's the last language you want to try and use. Or at least I, I've always felt like that. <laughs> yeah. um, it knowed people, but, but there's many reasons. To, there's many reasons to separate the front and the background and create these like division of layers. There's a, it's a real division of concerns. You're writing that front end code, you're concerned about user experience. When you're writing that back end code, you're concerned with like, logic, you know, and integration and like, how do, how do I, uh, you know, assure that these rules like work this way and that the database functions this way. And, um, so like not having to think about all of those things all at once is, is also a real benefit. Yeah. So I, I, one of the things I've always said is, is, or I've always said, but one of the things I, I, I like to say is like Spiff workflow really kind of is a, is a framework for this other layer, this not front end, it's not back end, it's the business end. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Different teams of people would use it. They would deploy on, you know, their own independent cycles to like release like changes that they need to make. Yeah. Um, so it could function somewhat independently of those other two layers. Yeah, there's like all these different parties that are have their own like specific interests. And you as a <laughs> developer often have to like you know, combine all those, if you will, layers, like you just said, together, you know, there's like, okay, initially it's like, what is the business trying to accomplish? You know, what is the customer trying to accomplish? You know, <laughs> and then overall, what, what's this whole system supposed to try to accomplish and kind of all the goals as you kind of move along? I guess flowcharts are very nice for that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's a nice way to think about it. And it certainly like talks to the right people in the right way. Yeah, keep the communications open there. When you mentioned early on that there were a lot of tools or at least some tools that were out there doing BPMN that were more from like the Java realm. Did you look at some of the code for some of those? I mean, we tried those, those initial weeks many years ago and I haven't, I haven't gone back. Uh, I've watched many videos like over time. We're trying to figure out a concept. Like if we're trying to add some new BPMN aspect to our code. Yeah. The first thing we do is stop and look at like, okay, well, what did these other companies do and how did they handle it? Okay. Yeah. But the, like some of the odd things about like the way it, it seems from, from uh, definitely from a distance, but the way it looks, it feels very, it feels like the Java, de like you've got professional Java developers that are building these diagrams mm -hmm. with the purpose, I think, of making their business logic more accessible to the company so that it can be, you know, examined. And I, I understand that methodology, but I don't, I, I don't think that's the direction we're trying to go. Like, I, I think we're really trying to like empower more of the organization to do these diagrams and not, not force Python developers into this framework to use it on a daily basis, but really as a way for them to reach out and, you know, offer greater control and power to the other people in the organization or to their end users. Okay. Yeah. Get like, <laughs> if they're able to touch it and look at it and and so forth, kind of see, you know, the actual wiring, if you will, of what's happening, does that provide better buy-in? I'm 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 hoping so. But and I'm hoping like it, it buys better participation. Yeah. Right. Like in an ideal world, instead of like walking into this this board meeting, you're the software developer carrying your laptop in there, right? <laughs> yeah. Probably determined to like hide behind the screen and work on something until the meeting finally ends. Yeah. Because you know that the conversation is not going to like, it's going to, it's going to veer around and like in this sort of driverless, like mindless way and never hit on, never, never get grounded. Uh. And it ends up being the software developer's person to ground it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Here's all these new requirements. How do I fit <laughs> these into all the crap that I did last month yeah, yeah. or last year? So I'm hoping like if these diagrams, it like in an ideal situation, you've got clear enough, clean enough diagrams and you maintain them in a way that when that board meeting happens, that's one of the touch points. You bring up the diagram and you look at it. Okay. Like last, you know, last month, I know we wanted to like market like different material. We wanted like different prices for Canadian consumers who were, you know, interested in flying their, you know, their coconuts to the South. And like, so if they've got that interest, we want to charge them this price for twine. And then like next month we want to do this. I know we've got a new North American campaign that we're running now that does blah, blah, blah. 
And these things are going to start to conflict. Yeah. And traditionally, they don't conflict in that meeting. They conflict, you know, three weeks later when a software developer finally gets the work order and he looks at the code and realizes that none of this makes any sense. Yeah. So wouldn't it be great if you could rise that back up to the top and, and people could say, oh, you're right, we've got like these other four campaigns running. How do we want to fit this new campaign into this? Well, let's think about it critically. You know, and we can make a decision with the sales team in the meeting about like, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to end that campaign? Do you want to start a new one? Where, where is this going to fall? I, I was wondering about that idea of the, the meeting and showing the workflow and, and kind of showing the diagram as it w- goes through it. But even the, maybe the concept of like, drilling in with the programmer there and bringing up, quote unquote, the script and them seeing Python, initially that might be like a lot for, you know, a non-programmer. But again, do you feel like because Python is fairly readable that if a programmer is there, uh, you know, sort of highlighting the things, do you think that they can kind of get the point across of even, you know, things are happening within? Is, is that an advantage in some ways? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think Python's a wonderful language to, to like, learn. And, and you're seeing it, you're seeing it everywhere, at least I, yeah. when, um, when I'm, I'm working at the university with uh, with grad students there on projects. They all know Python. Yeah, they could they could get in and make these changes, and so they're not. That's not their focus, and they certainly don't want to sit down and you know and work through like all the complexities of those problems. You know, day after day after day. I mean, they've got dissertations <laughs> to write and right. uh, you know, much bigger problems in their mind, but guy would be nice to hand them a little bit of power, you know, so that when they do want to fix something or change the way something behaves, they can just go do it and feel empowered to, to make it happen. Awesome. I hit most of my questions. Were there other things that you wanted to highlight? Oh, it's my whole world. It's been my whole world for four years. <laughs> 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 like so much, so much in my head. But I, I yeah, I think there's a lot of thank yous, right? Like the, um, so much, like I, I'm definitely a core contributor and making changes, but yeah, so much that's happened, like is, is thanks to the team, like Alex and Elizabeth and Jason, Kevin and Mike and, and John. Cool. Maybe we could talk about where you see, uh, your developments over the next six months or year. What are the things you're working on? We are talking to a few, uh, to a few new, new clients. I think, um, one of the, like, Certainly one of the more exciting things would be like doing more with that, the Web3 stuff. Um, what if like there's these things called DAOs, these autonomous organizations, being able to drive those with a diagram would be kind of nifty. So I'm pretty excited about that. Like just talking, uh, expanding this out and like seeing it from the perspective of some, some other, some other organizations and seeing like, can we, can we do like all three of them at once? Right. Can we, can we really like satisfy the needs of these, these very different people? Yeah. And so if people want to learn more about it, like where would you say they should start? Definitely hit to like spiffworkflow.org is a good jumping off point. Uh, there's links there that will get you to our, our discord channel. We're on uh, YouTube, so I'm posting videos regularly there that are also linked off of spiffworkflow.org. Just go to spiffworkflow.org and look around <laughs> and click. It's got a lot of connections there for yeah. more support. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So I have these weekly questions that I like to ask everybody. And the very first one is, what are you excited about in the world of Python right now? Over this last uh, this last like three or four days, I've been trying to refactor error messages down in Spiff Workflow. Okay, they're just a little wonky, and like what'll happen? It's it's complicated enough system. There's so many different things going on that that like the errors end up kind of recirculating back through, and so I'll end up like catching errors that like Spiff Workflow itself threw earlier as it bounces back up to these stacks of processes, and so each time. I'm I catch it, I was previously kind of wrapping it and like, so just get like, I wasn't adding, like I was, it wasn't like creating more useful error messages. It was just creating a deeper stack of error messages that hmm. like nobody wants to look at. So Python 3.11 recently introduced this thing where like any exception, you can, there's this add note function yeah, and you can just add notes to an error and then rethrow it. And we need to support things earlier than 3.11. So I just created my own top-level Spiff workflow exception and, and added this feature into it that we'll get rid of when, you know, when 3.11 really is all we need to support. Yeah. But being able to add those notes and just append a little bit more information 
like what's a good example like like some error happens in a script task okay so you need to explain like that error happened on line three uh looks like this variable x is not defined and then i need to like when it bounces back up it's like oh this happened in like a dmn table is where this like was actually getting called oh yeah and the name of that dmn table is this and then oh that got called from this other like bpmn diagram and that's this and so i can just add all those notes so when it finally hits like the 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 bpmn author i can tell them exactly where to go and how to get there and what circuitous route led to this problem yeah pablo has been working really hard <laughs> on error handling and adding those functions with the the core team there and they, they've the whole core team has added a lot in that world um, which is really neat yeah, I'm excited about that. I think we've talked about it almost ad nauseum over the last year and a half from 310 and 311, just like all that stuff of just, man, for a beginner to like know what an error is doing compared to just like syntax error, you know, like right, it's critical. just generally, yeah, all that whole world. And then like being able to go three or four steps beyond like, you know, whatever that stopping block was to like, you know, do some inspection of what's actually you know the cause is really handy yeah what's something that you want to learn next uh this doesn't have to be about programming or python specifically so one of the things i do as a hobby is i i, I put ships and bottles i i uh, i've always kind of dug dug that that problem yeah and i just do it for other people like when somebody does something really special for me there's no other good way to thank them enough I'll build them a ship in a bottle and give it to them. I don't know whether that really helps them out at all. <laughs> That's just what, what I do. Yeah. But yeah, I've always wanted to learn to do something else. Like, uh, there's a, like, uh, putting a, uh, an airplane in a bottle, particularly like, a like one of the things that works really well are things that are like under tension, uh, like the mast of the sails and a sailboat. So, yeah. um, like a Wright brothers plane, something that I could like pull a string and it would just fold the wings out and they would, you know, decompress into this full thing that looks really cool. <laughs> or, uh, like the Brooklyn bridge and how you have some suspension bridge that would hinge out and, yeah. like, and like look really beautiful. Where do you even so, learn those yeah. skills? Is that like a YouTube thing or books or I have no idea like where someone would even start? <laughs> yeah. The original Boba was really tricky. I had to like, I ended up ordering this weird book from England that was out of print that okay. was fantastic. Although all of its techniques were like very old. Yeah. Like it would, yeah, it would just, you know. Could you even find those materials? <laughs> right. No, no, I had, to, <laughs> I had to make a lot of other stuff. Okay. Up. But it like yeah it tells you how to build all of your own tools to like work inside the bottle, which was kind of nifty. Wow. Yeah. So, so what are some of the modern uh, resources? Have you found other things that? Is there like a community around doing this stuff? No, not that I not that I really <laughs> found. I do have a like I so I I helped found a makerspace here in my hometown. Oh, cool. Nice. Uh, and there's like a hundred members now, and so. Yeah, like I do have a community and like an enormous uh, set of resources for like doing all kinds of bizarre stuff. Um, so yeah, when yeah, they're all problem solvers. All those makerspace people. That's exactly right. Awesome. That sounds very cool. Tell me about the makerspace. Where is it located? Um, so I I live in Stanton, Virginia. Okay, uh, which is like a twenty five thirty thousand uh, people in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. And uh, yeah, like um, I don't know, like eight years ago we we started this thing up uh it just had like a 3d printer and, a, and an empty building okay and I, we just started calling it a makerspace and people kept believing us all right you keep adding more things to it yeah yep like somebody came along rick came along and had just gave us a whole woodworking shop there you go one day yeah and yeah aaron came and like donated all of his garage tools so we had like hand saws and stuff and um, yeah, it just kind of grew from there. I mean, we've got everything now. We have a whole pottery studio, a metalworking shop, wow. like laser cutters and the whole bank of 3D printers. And it, 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 it's been a really fun thing to watch. Yeah. I, when I moved here to Colorado Springs, I joined the Pikes Peak, uh, makerspace for a little while. And, uh, I learned a little bit about 3D printing. So it wasn't like a complete noob when I finally got my own. And uh, at least kind of you know, conceptually and, you know, kind of core concept stuff, which was really handy. You know, the, like big CNC machines and, like you said, a wood shop, a little bit of areas for like electronics and things like that. I've been meaning to meet up with them again. I haven't, but they do like little, you know, sort of class sort of stuff. So I thought about doing like CircuitPython with them or something like that. 
oh, that would be good. Yeah. Yeah, we've got we've got one part problem that Python would help out a lot with, which is like restricting access to certain equipment, you know, until somebody's cleared. Yeah, yeah. Every right. once in a while somebody'll slip in there and just You gotta go through that class. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Like especially like a CNC machine, you just break that in like two minutes. Like it's just yeah, done. Yeah. Or the laser cutter, like it's just gone. It's a thousand bucks, it's gone. So some something locking the uh, power outlet or something like that. <laughs> like there's these great some other makerspaces have made these built these like and have all the details out there for Raspberry Pis and the Python code to like yeah yeah lock the equipment down you know just run it through this outlet or put it like in the cord that runs the piece of equipment and like you got to swipe your fob to unlock it. Yeah, yeah. So how can people follow the stuff that you do online? Oh gosh. Uh, like, so we've got a, we've got a Twitter feed, uh, that I keep putting stuff into. Okay. Uh, it would be great if people listened to it. So yeah, if you would join that, that would be an enormous motivator for me to post stuff to it. Okay. Uh, yeah. YouTube, uh, is, is a good place to subscribe. And, uh, and I'm definitely going to be putting on like lots of videos. There's just no other good way to like describe diagrams to people than <laughs> yeah. showing them what it's like to, yeah, move this stuff around. And you already had mentioned spiffworkflow.org. Yes. Yeah. And then I think you mentioned the Discord. And the best way to get connected to that is through the spitfloorflow.org also. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a link on the yeah, on the website that'll take you and that'll invite you into the Discord channel. Awesome. Well, Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been really fun talking to you. Uh, Christopher, this was a blast. I think I was I was a little uptight at the very beginning, but I think I loosened up there somewhere along the way. Um, <laughs> and okay. I've had a really good time. Uh, good. really, really enjoyed talking to you today. Awesome. Well, thanks. Yeah, thank you. And don't forget, experience the power of full-stack monitoring with Telemetry Hub. Try it today and transform your monitoring strategy. I want to thank Dan Funk for coming on the show this week. And I want to thank you for listening to the RealPython podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, remember that the RealPython podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.